May the words of my mouth and meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Michael Klim was a kid who lived in our neighborhood when I was growing up. He was about a year or so younger than me, and we didn't play with Michael very much. And it wasn't that we disliked him. Um, he just didn't come outside very often. Uh, Michael would, um, he would sit in his house and I, about a dollar bill's distance from a television, watching it constantly. When I grew, grew up, it was before cable, <laughs> before satellite, before Netflix, long before Netflix. And so kids uh, really only had a, a few viewing options. We would watch cartoons on Saturday morning. We'd watch about an hour of television that was kind of geared for you know, kids after school. And you know, maybe professional wrestling on Sunday after church, something like that. That was about it. That, that was, every other time you were to go outside and play. And we divided all of life between inside and outside. And we always wanted to be outside, but not Michael. Michael was always inside. He was watching things that kids didn't watch. You know, the news, the Julia Child show. He was watching all kinds of things that, that nobody would pay attention to. And, um, and I could still see him, like in my mind's eye, like he, he, he lived like right next door and we would, and like a, a half double, so kind of a shared front porch. And I'd peek in there and there he'd be, sitting Indian style, right in front of the television, like really up close to it. His sister Brandy, she'd come out and play, but he, Michael, never. When he did come, it would just be for a few minutes and then he would slink back away into the house and back to the television. Um, Michael had a bit of a disability. Um, he was uh, he was visually impaired. The reason he sat so close to the TV is because he couldn't see it, and so he would he would sit really close. and And um, and the only time we would get Michael to come out and play, um, what I remember was that we got him to come play hide and go seek. Do you call it hide and go seek? Uh, this is where one person hides, uh, or everybody hides rather, and one person is it, and the person who's it has to count to twenty or thirty or fifty or whatever, and then come and find you. Well, when Michael was it, hiding was not difficult. You could sit on a car or stand behind a tree or underneath a trash. You, you didn't actually have to hide, and he would walk literally right by you. He never found anyone, ever. The only way he ever found anybody is if they, like, yelled out his name, Michael. And then he would turn and see them, and, and then, yeah, that was it. But it, it seemed like a better idea, you know, at the time than it ever turned out to be. Because the whole idea of playing hide-and-go-seek isn't to hide, it's to be found. And I didn't understand that. We always thought, you know, yeah, it's a good thing for the person who's it to have a challenge. They should have a hardship in finding you. You don't want to be the first person found. But you want to be found. (laughs) You you, You don't want to stay behind the bushes forever. You know, somebody has to come and find you. And if they don't, it loses all the fun. Uh, what's that? Did anybody give up? Well, I don't know. I probably did. Yeah, sooner or later. Michael would never find anybody, though. He could not find him because he couldn't see him. When I was a pastor of teens, we used to play this. They, the, the teens used to play this game called sardines. Sardines was a little better version of hide and go seek because somebody would go. Everybody would go hide. One person was it, and then uh, no, no, excuse me. One person would go hide. Everybody was it. That was the reverse part of it. One person hide, everybody's it, and then they would spread out, and we would play in a, we had a bigger church, and it was really dark, and you could, you could hide everywhere. And when somebody found the person hiding, they would hide with them. And then everybody else until the last person that come. 
the thing is, though, it's not fun to play these games unless you're found. You have to be found. Um, in the beginning of the Gospels, uh, the, this Gospel, Gospel of John, Jesus is out and about, decides to go to Galilee, and he finds Philip. That's what John says. He comes along and he finds Philip, and he says to Philip, come and follow me. The story of Philip is really thin in the Gospels. We don't know much about him. In fact, we only really know much about him from John's Gospel. And it's super thin. Philip does the, he's, um, he's very ordinary. Uh, for instance, in one story, uh, there's a feeding of the multitude. Uh, Jesus looks around and says, give him some food. And Philip's the one who uh, rightly assesses we couldn't feed these people with a year's worth of salary. <laughs> you know, uh, he does it, It's not a profound thing. It's just a, a, a very easy thing. Some people come looking for Jesus in another passage. Philip doesn't know what to do, so he goes in and finds Andrew. What do we do? And in, of course, the Last Supper story, Jesus, uh, Philip says to Jesus, Show us the Father. He's a very ordinary kind of person. There's nothing extraordinary about him at all. Uh, Leon Morris, one of the scholars, uh, wrote this. He said, John brings Philip before us on a number of occasions. Each time he seems to be somewhat out of his depth. (laughs) That's a very uh, uh, backward way of saying he's not a very bright fellow, is he? The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and he said to him, follow me. When Jesus says, follow me, He doesn't give a lot of information. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says he gives no intelligible program for life. (laughs) This isn't really a, uh, you know, come follow me and do this. It's just this. Come, follow me. No destination, no plan, just follow me. But I thought about what it does offer. What does it connote or denote? I'm not sure which one it is. You figure that one out. What does it connote inside uh, this This uh, call, follow me. This is true, that Jesus will be wherever the follower is. Right? Because if you're following Jesus, then you'll be wherever wherever Jesus is. Second, that planning is not required for a follower. The follower is not in charge. (laughs) The follower is, after all, a follower. And that you are wanted. If someone bids you follow me, it's because they want you. They're they're interested in your life. And so Philip follows Jesus. And then John goes on to say, and Philip found Nathanael. A lot of finding going on in this passage, isn't there? Jesus finds Philip. Philip finds Nathanael. And he says to him, we found the one. Another finding. Philip has been found, and now he claims to have found the one of whom Moses in the law and the prophets wrote. And, and he says this to Philip, come, Jesus of Nazareth. There's something about Nazareth that, that Philip, or rather Nathaniel, doesn't much care for, though, does he? he um, can anything good come out of Nazareth? <laughs> uh, I wanted to play with that a little bit. I'm not going to. Can anything good come? And I wondered, what, you know, did it, was it just like a, a local thing, you know, like the way Clevelanders feel about People from Pittsburgh, for instance, you know, can anything good come out of Pittsburgh? You know, maybe we would say, or, or maybe it's um, maybe Nathaniel had a girlfriend from uh, from Nazareth and she broke his heart. He like threw me on the whole city. I can't stand those people anymore. I don't know. There's nothing infamous about uh, about Nazareth, but Nathaniel was reluctant to believe Philip because of this. Nathaniel finds Philip, or Philip rather finds Nathaniel. And, and I thought about how this finding is different. You know, Jesus goes along and he sort of discovers Philip along the way. But 
But Philip himself goes on a hunt. He goes and he finds, he locates Nathaniel. He's actually searching him out. I, I do this all the time with my keys, right? I don't know if you do this. I, I constantly lose my keys. It's because I put things down wherever I happen to be, and I can't remember where I happen to be last when I had those things. My wife one time years ago bought me this key locator that you could, you could clap, and it would start beeping. And so you can imagine me walking around the house, and I would stop, and I would listen, and I would hear it off in a distant room, and I'd have to walk to another room and clap again. And um, I think she threw it away because it, it got to be a, 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 an enabler <laughs> instead of a help. Philip goes on a search for Nathaniel, and he finds him. Jesus finds Philip. There's a lot of this finding going on. And Philip says to Nathaniel, come see. Come see. You don't believe, but come see. Uh, This is part of where uh, John becomes very clever in his storytelling. The way he does that, um, he, he, Philip, uh, or Nathaniel rather coming to Jesus, um, Jesus compliments him. A true Israelite in whom there's no guile, no deceit, doulos in Greek, no, no deception or trickery. And Philip, or Nathaniel says, well, how do you know me? And Jesus responds, before Philip called you, I saw you sitting under a fig tree. Something that Jesus would not have been present to see. And, and so, Nathaniel realizes, oh my, this is a person who has this perception. He has this ability to see things without being there. Indeed, he must be the one, the king of Israel, he says. Nathaniel is found, and he doesn't even realize it. In the season of Epiphany, we reflect on these call stories often, this, the, the, the call of the disciples, because the fact is, this is what the Lord is doing with all of us. He's calling us. And some follow eagerly. Right away, like Philip does. Others more reluctant, eh, not so sure. But what all the followers of Jesus discover is that there's something wonderful and joyful in being found, more than they could ever imagine. These stories of the apostles are stories of very ordinary individuals, though. And that's the thing about them. We, we kind of elevate them. You know, it's St. Peter and St. John and St. James. And indeed, they were godly people. But the fact of the matter is they're just like you and me. The call of Philip and Nathaniel is just like the call of Joe or Brian or Benjamin or Dale, anybody, Mary. The call is the same, that that we are called just like these people. Come, follow me. And the same thing is true. There's no intelligible program for life. The call of Jesus is not not a, a plan or a program. It's not something that you can chart out and tell somebody else what it's going to be like. There are as many uncertainties as there are certainties. But there are these certainties. Follow me, and I will always be with you. Follow me. You don't need to worry about where to go because I'm going to lead you. Follow me and know that you're loved and cared for. When we played uh, hide-and-go-seek with Michael Clem, it, it wasn't much fun. We thought it would be fun. It didn't turn out to be as fun as we thought it was. As I reflected on that this week and looked back on my time, I realized it wasn't very nice either. Um, we had some laughs out of it. It was uh, kind of funny. It wasn't much fun at the time, and it wasn't very nice. But I realized something about playing hide-and-go-seek. 
that it's a child's game with a profoundly adult reality. The thing that's most fun in life, the, the most joy that we can have in life, isn't in hiding, it's in being found. That until we're found, we really don't know the joy of life and the joy of living. It's not hiding, it's being found that's important. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.